Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Today, I wanted to bring everybody an update on two things. I wanted to talk about what just happened in an, in an investigation that was concluded with two of the former Fred, Fed presidents. I also wanted to talk about a kind of give an update on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet and basically what they're looking to do with potential runoffs. So the first thing I want to get into today is this investigation with these two Fed governors uh, that basically got wrapped up this week. So I want to. So this was an article from the Wall Street Journal. You know, Fed review clears central bank officials of violating rules. So Inspector General says personal investment rules for top policymakers failed to maintain public confidence in central banks. So what? So what happened with this? So um, you had a two-year-long investigation into the trading practices of two presidents at the Federal Reserve banks who resigned in 2021. Uh, and this this investigation cleared them of violating policies or laws. But the report released on Monday by the Fed's inspector general found that the presidents hadn't properly filed their financial disclosures and that if they had, the appearances of conflict of interest posed by their personal investments in 2020 would likely have been worse than they initially appeared. The public disclosures of their investments from 2020, a year in which the Fed intervened heavily in markets to shield the economy from the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic, prompted Fed Chair Jeremy Powell to announce in October 2021 a sweeping overhaul of personal finance conduct. The new rules, which took effect in 2022, bar senior officials from trading in individual stocks. Now, before I get into kind of what you know, uh, happen with these two individual Fed governors, I want to say that this is, no matter how you cut it, this is insider trading. This was insider trading by these two Fed governors. And, and more so, it appeared that this insider trading was prevalent throughout the Federal Reserve, including Jeremy Powell, the current, the current chairman of the Federal Reserve. It seemed like these two gentlemen fell on the sword, so to speak, to kind of cut off you know, cut things off at the pass, so to speak, again, to kind of, you know, sweep this under the rug. And then they did this investigation, uh, which, you know, in, in my opinion, was um, a sham. And they, you know, cleared these guys of all charges. And I just want to be clear, very, very clear that if if I did this, if you did this, if anybody out there did this, we would be in jail today. We would be in jail for this because this is called insider trading. This is trading on insider information. And what really upsets me about this whole thing is that this happened at a time period when we were all at our most vulnerable. This happened during the 2020 pandemic. These gentlemen had had they they knew the country was going to get shut down. They knew what was coming and they decided to take that information and go trade on it to benefit themselves personally in their trading accounts. Um this also, this also, the same type of thing also plays out in Congress, where you have, you know, congressmen and senators continuously year after year trading on insider information. And for them, again, it's not illegal. It's not illegal for them to do that. They, they, you know, they do it year in and year out and make tons of money. That's part of the way somebody goes into Congress and they go in there and they're worth, you know, uh, they're, they got a net worth of $200,000 and 25 years later, they come out and they're worth 35 million. Well, a big part of the reason why they're doing that is because they're insider trading year in and year out, making tons of money. And that's how, that's how you know, this is why you see somebody in Congress that's making a salary of 125,000 and yet they're worth $40 million. And you're going, wait a minute, 
um, I can do a little bit of math here and those numbers really just don't compute. So I, I wanted to, to I wanted to phrase that by saying exactly what happened here. These two gentlemen insider traded and I would love to know how much money exactly they made. They talk about the trades they make. So so let's see here. So who who was involved in this? So we had the Dallas Fed president, Robert Kaplan, and we had the Boston Fed president, Eric Rosengren. Now, Kaplan traded large quantities of individual stocks, such as Apple, Chevron, and Delta Airlines throughout 2020, including during the week of March 17th, one of the most turbulent periods ever in financial markets. If you recall, March 17th was when they announced the lockdown. Um, those trades were allowed under the federal rules and didn't violate central bank policies, the inspector general said. And as with Kaplan, the report for Rosengren's trading practices had also created an appearance of conflict and interest. No bleep. Yeah, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I think you, I think you get the point there. But even more egregious, I want to read. So, well, let me take one step back. So they say that they traded a lot, but they don't tell you the amount of money that they made. Because because if you if you actually knew the amount of money these guys made, which I would probably suspect was probably millions of dollars, you would you know, again, that would create a tremendous amount of outrage in the general public as it should. But let's let's read this for a second here. So the Federal Reserve's Office of Inspector General released a report of investigation where it said two former regional Fed presidents. Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan and Boston Fed President Eric Rosengren traded securities in 2020 in such a way that could cause a reasonable person to question their impartiality under the central bank's code of conduct and create an appearance of a conflict of interest, but did not engage in any illegal activities. The report also said that rules during the time of investigation did not sufficiently support public confidence in the impartiality and integrity of the policymakers and senior staff carrying out the public mission of the FOMC's work. So that I mean, I yeah, I just I, I just can't but believe this. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm reading this again that you know, you know, they traded securities in 2020 in such a way that would cause a reasonable person to question their impartiality. Really. Really? Yeah, I, I guess you could say that. Yes. Um, and could create the appearance of a conflict of interest, you know, but they didn't do anything illegal. It was all OK. Um, yeah, not yet. Re really, really not happy with that. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, these two gentlemen should be dragged in front of Congress and they're all of their all of their trading records should be publicly released. We should know exactly how much money that they made off these trades, and we should know, um, you know, exactly what their gains were, and and the and they should be forced to give all that money back and pay penalty and fees for that. Um, I just think this. I think this whole investigation was was ridiculous, um, and I think that you know something. And and again, and I'm not just. I, I don't want to just sound like I'm picking on these gentlemen. I'm picking on the entire culture that permeates, you know, through large parts of the government and, and not just with these people at the Fed, but also with um, Congress itself, with the Senate, with congressmen, with senators, um, they're able to run around and inside trade all day long. And it's and it's a joke and it's disgusting. And, you know, and, the, and again, they always say, well, we put new rules in place, you know, just like I remember when Congress got caught a couple of years ago and again, a major inside insider trading scandal where everybody was 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 crying and moaning about it 
um, they came out and they said, well, we put rules in place that say that we would really try not to do this. And it's like, it's like, wait a minute, how about, how about you forget trying? How about you make it illegal to do it? Period. End of story. Just like it is for every other citizen in this country. Um, so anyway, all right. So that's my rant with that. Um, yeah, really not happy about that and, and really hope that, uh, something else gets reviewed there because I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that these guys just, you know, completely got off the hook with that anyway. Okay. Let's take a look at the second part here. So this is an article from S and P capital intelligence, and this is called fed eyes slowing balance sheet runoff as liquidity concerns emerge. So the U S federal reserve is poised to slow the shedding of some of its trillion in assets holdings as, as may soon stop altogether over concerns that the runoff will dent liquidity in bond markets. So central bankers are shedding about $100 billion per month from the Fed's holdings, yet liquidity concerns are mounting. Nearly $2 trillion has flowed out of a Fed facility designed for stability in lending markets. The Fed has managed to shrink its balance sheet by $1.278 trillion since peaking at nearly $9 trillion in April of 2022 when the Fed launched its battle against skyrocketing inflation. So there's a couple of things there. What they are talking about there when they say that nearly $2 trillion has flowed out of a Fed facility, what they're talking about is what's called the repo market. They're talking about the liquidity and the repo market has is, is basically flooding out. And we can see here, Again, for the podcast audience, we're looking at a chart here of basically the Fed's balance sheet from 2020 to 2024. And you can see here that they basically hit their peak here around, you know, 2022. They, well, first of all, they shot up in 2020. They had a balance sheet of a little over $4 trillion in assets. And then they shot up like a rocket to $7 trillion and then got up to $9 trillion. And now have seen that cresting back down and have, have you know seen that start to start to fade down and come back. Now let's go on here for a second. So the Fed has been reducing the balance sheet by nearly 100 billion in treasuries and mortgage securities each month, bringing it down to below 7.6 billion as of January 10th. The Fed is letting these bonds mature without reinvesting the funds in their respective markets, effectively increasing the supply of bonds and pushing yield uh, yields higher as prices fall. These higher yields are raising related borrowing costs and taking the place of additional increases to the Fed's benchmark interest rate. So that's a very key and important thing. So part of the reason why the Fed has not increased interest rates is because of this right here. They can they can effectively create the same effect on the market as if they had increased interest rates by letting these bonds uh, run off without reinvesting in them, thus increasing the yields. Um, Fed officials discussed the balance sheet at their December 2023 meeting, noting that it would expect to slow and then stop the decline in the size of the balance sheet when reserve balances are somewhat above the level judged consistent with ample reserves. How the Fed will judge when reserves are ample is still unclear. Um, but this will largely depend on liquidity. Uh, liquidity problems in the banking system or the treasury market could cause the Fed to begin tapering QE, QT sooner, and the lack of any noticeable issues could lead them to keep the current pace for longer. Um, and so, and now here we get down into a chart of the repo market. So this is, again, we're looking at a chart here of overnight reserve repurchase facility plunges from late 2022 to its peak. So you can see here in 2021, 
I'm not sure why this is. I'm not sure why this is at zero because, well, I mean, well, I, I could, well, I, I should, I should bring up an overall chart. I'm going to have to do, I, I'm going to do another episode just on the repo market. Um, so everybody can hopefully get a better understanding of that. But so we saw the repo market explode here and get up to about 2.5 billion right here. And then, and then basically, and then it goes and it's going all the way back down to about 500, you know, about 500 million. Uh, oh no! I'm sorry. This is this is trillions of dollars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Two point five trillion, and now it's back down to about five hundred million. So, what's what's important to understand is the repo market is extremely critical to the operations of the everyday market in the everyday economy in the U.S. And that if the liquidity in the repo market dries up, this is going to lead to major problems, as as in, i.e., potential bank failures in the United States. Um, that's how big of a deal this is. Um, I'm going to explain when I get back to, I'm, I'm, I've been, I've been working on this book, the Lords of easy money, because this is going to explain how between 2008 and basically 2021 that the fed completely changed the financial market itself with its use of the repo market. And then basically we saw a situation in 2019 where the repo market again, where the liquidity started to leak, leak out of the repo market as the Fed was trying to reduce their balance sheet. And that led to a major liquidity problem. And it led to almost a giant crisis, a crisis that wasn't necessarily devolved to divulge to the public. But now we're, we're finding out about it. And I'm going to talk about all about that when I do the, the Lords of Easy Money um, review. So my guess is the Fed is going to have to reverse this. They are going to have to start buying bonds and treasuries, partially because people aren't buying our debt, uh, partially because of this, this liquidity issue in the repo market. They need to get more liquidity back into the repo market. They're going to have to stop reducing their balance sheet and they're going to have to start buying up more uh, bonds and treasuries and that's going to probably bring the yields down and they'll probably be doing that at the same time that they start to decrease interest rates. So, um, do, 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 do. so, and again, I'll just read this real quick. So one key gauge of liquidity in the financial system is the feds overnight, basically repo facility, which was permanently established in 2014 as a way to stabilize lending and remove access cash from the financial, uh, from the financial system. The facility allows certain banks, money market funds, and other investment firms to earn interest on large cash balances kept at the Fed overnight. Um, the Fed, the facility surged to a record $2.5 trillion in December 2022, but it's since fallen to $583 billion, its lowest, lowest level since June of 2021. Given the rapid decline of the facility, Fed officials need to begin discussions of slowing the runoff of the central bank's balance sheet. In my view, we should slow the pace of runoff as facility balances, uh, facility balances approach a low level, um, said Dallas Fed President uh, Lori Logan. Um, and then here's a great point at the end of this. Um, the Fed's balance sheet will likely never return to where it was before COVID-19. Let me say that again. The Fed's balance sheet will likely never return to where it was before COVID-19. Um, I, you know, I said this years ago. I said when the Federal Reserve 
got their got their balance sheet up to four trillion dollars after the uh, Great Recession of 07, 08, 09. Um, I questioned. I said, "How is that? You know, it seems to me like the Fed's got a bunch of basic." basically crap on their balance sheet and how are they going to get rid of all this stuff how are they going to put this because if they if they dump all this onto the market a huge chunk of it they're they're going to crash the market and it and we're we're basically back to that point again only their balance sheet is twice as large as it was just 4 years ago and that this point here hits home that basically the fed has put themselves into a situation that they they've boxed themselves into this corner and they have made an entire mess of this entire situation. And um, there just isn't any other way to look at it. I mean, I like to, I like to sit here and say like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, you know, they can work this out or they can figure it out. I, I don't know at this point if they can work this out, or if they can figure it out. It's, it's this is literally uh, this is literally become that bad. Um, but you know, we'll have to keep, we'll have to continue to keep an eye on it and see what happens and see what plays out for the rest of this year, but more to come. Uh, keep an eye out for when I do my review on the Lord's Easy Money, and I'm going to get. And I'm also uh, reviewing a book right now on the repo market, which I'm going to bring every bring into everybody and share a little bit more on that. But I hope that everybody finds this stuff really interesting because this stuff really is critical to how our economy functions day in and day out. And if the repo market is in trouble, the economy is going to be in trouble, and you just have to understand that that connection there between the two. So, but anyway. I hope everybody loved this video. Uh, please check out some of the other videos I recently posted. Make sure to big give a big uh, like if you like this. Make sure to subscribe, uh, share the video, and uh, and and please you know come back and check out some of the other stuff on the channel. Uh, that always helps. So, but thanks a lot, and I'll talk to everybody again real soon.